Hello, everybody. I hope you all had a good holiday and a good new year. I had a good holiday break, a good new year, and that was wonderful. However, what was not wonderful was uh, a fairly nasty bout of sickness that laid me out for several days. I was unable to speak or do things or really function as a human being for a while this month. But I am back on my feet, literally, and it is good to be in front of the microphone again. But before we start the episode, I wanted to issue a few corrections. First off, in episode 202 about Michael Collins, the astronaut who went around the moon, I said, and I was trying to be poetic, that he saw a night sky that no human had ever seen before. However, I was in error of saying that because there had been Apollo missions that had slingshot around the moon prior to Apollo 11. So Apollo 11 was not the first Apollo mission to do that. Apollo 8 in 1968 was the first mission to do that. And those astronauts, Jim Lovell, Frank Borman, and William Anders, they were the first ones to see that night sky that rest upon the other side of the moon. I was trying to be poetic. I regret the error. Credit where it's due to Apollo 8. Also, in episode 211, I attempted to pronounce the Maori name for New Zealand, and I completely butchered it. So I'm going to try to do this again. Aotearoa. 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 I hope I am saying that right. I got multiple notices about that from various Kiwi listeners. Anyway, with that out of the way, we got a new episode for you. Here we go. Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This podcast is independent and ad-free because of your listener support. Become a listener supporter by going to weirdhistorypodcast.com. There's an art to a good insult. Simply calling someone a bad person is not interesting, it's not memorable, and it's not funny. It doesn't really hurt somebody's feelings, and, very importantly... It's not amusing to any onlookers who might be witnessing your war of words. So, you want to say something better. If you really want to lay into somebody, say something like, I'll beat thee, but I would infect my hands. That's really good. That's from Shakespeare's Timon of Athens. That is a boring play about bankruptcy, but that insult right there, that stands out. The bard is great with this kind of thing. For instance, at one point in As You Like It, a character says, Your brain is as dry as the remainder biscuit after voyage. That's great. That is so much better than just calling somebody stupid. What's even funnier than a good insult, though, is trading insults. And plenty of cultures seem to have independently invented traditions of ritual social combat, with opponents trading barbs back and forth, often for the amusement of a crowd of onlookers. It's great that this has been invented multiple times across geography and across time. Japan, the United States, Europe, all have different insult trading competitions and traditions. We've got the dozens, we've got rap battles, and today I want to talk about 
a notable group of, well, not people, but a notable group of um, culturally significant entities who do a whole lot of insult trading. The Norse gods. When you think of the Norse gods, you probably think of a few things like Thor's hammer, Odin hanging from Yggdrasil's world tree to gain wisdom, battles with frost giants, battles with fire giants, elves, dwarves, the kind of stuff that inspired J.R.R. Tolkien and a lot of the Western fantasy genre. You probably think of them doing grand battles where they swing axes and thrust spears and do all sorts of really violent stuff while a heavy metal soundtrack plays. Right? Okay. Yeah. Viking stuff, fantasy genre stuff, giant slaying, dragon slaying, giant snakes, giant wolves, that kind of thing. But what if I told you that the actual written sources that we have about Odin, Thor, Loki, and the rest of them are way more about verbal combat than they are about combat combat? In Northern Europe, in the Middle Ages, there was a tradition called flighting. Flighting is ritualized, poetic, insult trading. And one of our main sources about the Norse deities contains a lot of flighting. That is performative, poetic, insult trading. Now, a word on sources. When it comes to the Greek deities, which I think is the pantheon most people are familiar with, we have sources for days. We have Hesiod. We have Homer. We have Aeschylus. We have later Latin sources like Ovid and all that type of stuff. We have a lot of deities being painted on the side of Amphora. Sources everywhere. With the Norse deities, it's a bit different. We have two major written sources. The big one that goes into detail is called the Prose Edda, or just the Edda. That was written by a guy called Snorri Snorlson, and it is one guy summarizing Norse mythology, and it is our main source for Yggdrasil and Ragnarok and all of it. But it's not the only source. The other source that we have is probably a bit older than that one main prose text. It is a collection of poems found in a box in Iceland in the 1600s that dates probably from the 1300s. This box with a bunch of Old Norse poems in it is called the Poetic Edda, and it's basically this hodgepodge of stuff about gods, heroes, and major figures in Norse mythology. There's not really any narrative through line to it or any big themes. It's just a bunch of poems in a box that somebody found. But hey, it's one of our only sources for Thor-type stuff. And whoever wrote these poems that probably date from the 1300s didn't really describe the gods having grand battles or bringing the hurt frost giants very much. I mean, there's a little bit of that in there. But a lot of what they pictured the gods doing was just being jerks to each other. There is a lot of flighting in the poetic Edda. One of the figures most responsible for flighting is, this will not shock you at all, Loki. Loki is a figure who's become kind of popular in pop culture in the past decade or so. 
And the Loki of pop culture, like the Marvel movies and whatnot, is a jerk who enjoys chaos, violence, and messing with people. The Loki of the Poetic Edda, well, he's a lot like that, except he's more of an undisguised jerk who does jerk stuff just because, well, because he's into that. One of the poems is called Loki's Flighting, or in some translations, Loki's Quarrel. The version of the Poetic Edda that I have translates it as Loki's Quarrel. In this poem, the various Aesir, that is, the Norse gods, are having a good time, hanging out, drinking, feasting, partying, with a bunch of elves. And Loki has not been invited to this dinner party. He feels kind of resentful about this. Storms into the dinner party makes an entrance by killing a servant, because I guess he just really wants to drive home what an ass he is, and demands to be seated at this feast. He says, quote, Thirsty I come to this hall, Loki come a long way, to ask the Aesir that they should give me one drink of magnificent mead. Why are you so silent, you pride-swollen gods, that you are unable to speak? Assign me a place to sit at the feast, or tell me to go away. One of the gods indeed tells him to go away. A guy called Bragi stands up and says, quote, A place to sit at the feast the Aesir will never assign you, for the Aesir know for whom they should provide their potent feast, unquote. That is, we know who the right type of person is that we want to invite to our dinner party, and it ain't you, Loki. Loki proceeds to go around the room and have kind of a verbal sparring match with all of the various guests at this dinner party, starting with Bragi, the guy who just stood up and told him to shove it. Now, Bragi is going to stand up in this next section, and he's going to offer Loki some gifts. And this might not sound to your ears like an insult, but keep in mind that in a lot of medieval European societies, gift-giving gave power to the giver, if you gave somebody something, like a horse, a sword, or fancy jewelry, that demonstrated your wealth and your power, and it was a way of creating debt and loyalty and also solidifying the relationship that you had with somebody else, that you were the one with the resources and they were the one dependent upon you for resources. So keep in mind that when Bragi says this next bit, it's not really an offer of presents, it's a way for him to demonstrate his wealth, power, and the rest of it. He says, quote, A horse and a sword I'll give you from my possessions, and Bragi will recompense you with a ring too. So you don't repay the Aesir with hatred. Don't make the gods exasperated with you. Loki replies, Both horses and arm rings you'll always be short of, Bragi, and of the Aesir and the elves who are in here. You're the wariest of war and the shyest of shooting. Bragi replies, I know if I were outside, just as I am now inside Aegir's Hall, your head I'd be holding in my hand. I'd see that as a reward for your lies. Loki replies, You're brave in your seat, but you won't be doing that, Bragi, the bench ornament. You go and fight if you're so furious. The truly bold man doesn't think twice. <laughs> bench ornament. That's good. Loki keeps it up, insulting everybody in turn. He calls some of the goddesses boy crazy and says that they'll sleep with anyone. He says to a bunch of the gods, multiple of them, Hey, 
I slept with your wife. He also accuses one other god of incest and having a kid with his sister. And he says to Odin, Hey, Odin, you are kind of selfish because you don't help your guys in battle. When noble warriors are going into battle, you let the less noble, less ferocious, and less deserving side win. And the implication here is that Loki is accusing Odin of giving the battle to the wrong guys because he wants the more noble warriors to die so they will join him in Valhalla. Eventually, it's too much, and Thor stands up. He says, Be silent, perverse creature. My mighty hammer Mjolnir shall deprive you of speech. With my right hand I'll strike you, so that every one of your bones will break. Loki says, I intend to live for a good time yet. And he does. This poem ends with a prose addendum, wherein the Aesir, that is the Norse gods, they let Loki leave. Later on, they find him, they bind him, and they devise a punishment for him, worthy of some of the more ironic Greek myths like Tantalus or Sisyphus. They have a snake drip venom down upon him, and Loki's wife, he is becoupled in this version of the story, holds a basin just below the snake's mouth catching the venom. However, the basin fills up, and every so often, Loki's wife, who is there making sure that her guy does not get venom all over him, has to empty it out. When she does, the trickster who ruined a dinner party gets some venom on him and shakes violently at his bonds, and that's where earthquakes come from. So this whole story, at the very end of it, has this kind of Random ending that says, hey, everybody, you know this bad dinner party? Well, guess what? It turned out to be an explanation for earthquakes the whole time. So, yeah. But anyway, that is kind of satisfying and cathartic. Don't you kind of wish that you could just chain up and do weird snake punishments to your racist relatives who ruin Thanksgiving? That'd be kind of great, right? But Loki's quarrel, or Loki's flighting, is only the biggest example of flighting or insult trading in the Poetic Edda. There's also another major poem that's just one great big back and forth with traded barbs. It's called Harbard Song. In this poem, Thor is just thoring around, doing Thor stuff, and he comes upon a fjord. Now, he doesn't want to wade into the fjord and get all wet, so he cries out to a ferryman who is standing in the middle of it. And he says, hey, you, boat guy, how about you boat on over here and ferry me across? And the ferryman, instead of doing that, decides to just yell insults at him. Now, this poem is called Harbard's Song, but a lot of scholars read this as an insult fight between Odin and Thor. Odin, in the Poetic Edda, has this habit of disguising himself as just this kind of like old hermit wanderer guy and messing people while he's in disguise. And so this is probably one of those instances where Odin decides to just be a jerk to his son for no reason. So Thor is standing on one side of the fjord and trying to like, you know, get a boat Uber. And Harbard, that is probably Odin in disguise, says to him, quote, it doesn't look as if you own three decent farms. Bare-legged you stand, wearing your beggar's gear. You don't even have any breeches. So, 
Thor's dad is just yelling at him saying, Hey buddy, you look like crap, and you don't have pants. Thor, though, is really determined to, like, get across this fjord, and he says, quote, Steer the Oaken ship here. I'll direct you to the landing stage. Anyway, who owns the ship which you keep next to the bank? The ferryman replies, Hildolf, he's called, the man who ordered me to keep it, that warrior wise in council who lives in Council Island Sound. He told me not to ferry highwaymen or horse thieves, but good men alone, and those who I recognize clearly. Tell me your name if you want to cross the inlet. Thor says, I'd tell you my name even if I were outlawed, and my origin to all. I am Odin's son, brother of Meili, father of Magni, powerful god's leader. With Thor you converse here. This I'll ask now, what are you called? And the ferryman replies, I am called Harbard. I seldom conceal my name, which is funny because that's probably what he's doing, since we are meant to understand that this is Odin in disguise. Now, Thor is here, stomping on one side of the inlet, trying to get across the fjord, and Odin is just standing there in a boat, being a jerk. He starts to talk about how great he is. He brags about his sexual conquest and talks about how all the ladies want to get with him, which is a weird thing to brag about to your son, but... Hey, he's trying to talk himself up here. Thor, for his part, says, I was in the east, and I fought against giants, malicious women, who roamed in the mountains. Great would be the giant race if they all survived. There'd be no humans within Midgard. What were you doing, meanwhile, Harbard? And Harbard, probably Odin, replies, I was in Valand, and I followed the war. I incited the princes, never reconciled them. Odin owns the nobles who fall in battle, and Thor owns the race of thralls. So what he's saying here is, hey, I helped incite a war, and Odin, he's the one who gets attention from the nobility. And when the nobles die in battle, they go to my place. They hang out with me. You, Thor, meanwhile, you have the thralls. You have the non-nobles. You don't have pants. And apparently this tracks with how a lot of scholars think these two gods were worshipped. That Odin was more popular among the nobility, and Thor was more of, like, the people's god. And the insults just keep coming. Odin makes fun of Thor's various adventures. For example, he references an incident where Thor was hiding out in a giant's lair, and to conceal himself, hid inside the giant's glove. Odin says, Thor has quite enough strength and no guts. In fear and cowardice, you were stuffed in a glove, and you didn't then seem like Thor. You dared in your terror neither to sneeze nor fart, in case Fjallar might hear, Fjallar being the name of the giant. So he's saying, hey Thor, remember that one time when you were cowering inside a giant's accessory, and you tried to not make any bodily noises lest a giant find you? Not very Thor-like, buddy. Thor doesn't really have a good comeback to this. He says, Harbard, you pervert. I would knock you into hell if I could stretch over the water. So, basically, hey, uh, I would hit you if you were closer. Um, in a lot of the poetic Edda, Thor is considered noble and brave and good at hitting things, but he's kind of a precious little himbo. He's only slightly smarter than his hammer, and that is definitely the case here, where Harbard probably Odin, just keeps getting the better of him. Eventually, Thor storms off and says, Hey, you know what? This is a fjord. 
I don't need your boat. I'm just going to walk around it the long way. And Odin says, fine, do that. And that's it. That's the end of the poem. And these are only the two biggest examples of flighting in the Poetic Edda. There are plenty of other places where people trade insults back and forth with each other, or have arguments, or just like are jerks to each other. But why am I talking about this? Well, two reasons. Uh, One, it's funny. And I like the idea of going back to one of our main written sources about Loki, a major pop culture figure, and finding out that he is just as much of a jerk in the oldest source that we have as he is in contemporary media. So there's that similarity. But the other reason is because I really like the difference. There is a pop culture vision that we have of a lot of mythological figures, be it Minotaurs, Medusas, Thor, and that pop culture version that we have is almost always different, sometimes dramatically different, from what the original sources tell us. Now, that doesn't mean that our contemporary visions of gods or monsters are wrong. For instance, the version of Medusa that lives in the Dungeons & Dragons monster manual is just as valid as the version of Medusa that exists in Ovid, from my point of view. That is a figure, a creature, a monster that has been iterated upon and remixed and redone many, many times throughout pop culture. And simply saying that the older version is the quote-unquote real version, I think is sort of misguided. But it's always fascinating to go back to the oldest versions of things that we have and see how it does and does not match up to what we're accustomed to. In the Poetic Edda, the visions of the Norse gods that we have sometimes does match up how we think of them. They're feasting, they're drinking, they're hanging out with elves. That seems like a very Norse god thing to do. However, in neither of the sources I read you, did I seem very, you know, metal. There are parts of the Poetic Edda that are really cool and heavy metal in ragnarok like the part that actually describes Ragnarok. And they do indeed seem like the kind of thing that would inspire a heavy metal album or cool stuff painted on the side of a van. But there's just as much stuff in the original sources that are not in keeping with our current vision of what the Norse gods entail. And it's fascinating to see what people latch upon and what people discard. The stuff that inspired J.R.R. Tolkien, various heavy metal albums, video games, pop culture, Dungeons and Dragons, the entire fantasy genre, all of it, that's in there. But there's just as much stuff that doesn't fit with that at all. And it's fascinating to go back to the original sources, or at least the oldest sources we have, and see how mythological figures that are still fairly beloved both are and are not themselves. Also, as always, this is a listener-supported podcast. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a monthly supporter. Uh, Also, go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or whatever it is you listen to podcasts on. Give us ratings and reviews. That really helps us out. The podcast is on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. And I'm on Twitter at Joe Streckert. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. We will cut a frowny face in your chest, little wench. I'm a mention of refresh. I'm a mitch. Yeah, correct. I will walk into a court while they wreck, screaming, yes. I am guilty, motherfuckers. I am death. Hey, you want to hear a good joke? Nobody speak. Nobody get choked.